0: this episode is sponsored by mcd and fsg josephine morrow is girl one the first of nine miracle babies conceived without male dna raised on an experimental commune known as the homestead when a suspicious fire destroys the commune the girls and their mothers scatter and lose touch Years later, when her mother goes missing, Josie sets off on a desperate road trip, tracking down her estranged sisters who seem to hold the keys to her mother's disappearance. Tracing the clues Margaret left behind, Josie joins forces with the other girls, facing down those who seek to eradicate their very existence while uncovering secrets about their origins and unlocking devastating abilities they never knew they had. Girl One by Sarah Flannery Murphy is already beloved on Goodreads. It's drawing comparisons to Margaret Atwood and Orphan Black and has a four star rating. And it is destined to be the summer's blockbuster thriller. One user referred to it as Thelma and Louise Meets the X Men. Again, that's Girl One by Sarah Flannery Murphy. Welcome to SFF, yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 106, and we are recording on June 10th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Uh, we're actually on take two of this podcast because Mercury is in retrograde, <laughs> and the nothing technological is you know, cooperating with us. But here we go, part two. Uh, and today, we are going to talk about Howl's Moving Castle, the book versus the movie.
1: We were talking about how great rereading and rewatching this was. Our cat, <laughs> Kismet, so many things <laughs> are going to be missed. Yeah. Thanks to Mercury in retrograde. I shake my
0: fist at you, Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, really, the highlight of our, our previous intro was just that my cat is really good at shedding dramatically. Like, I don't know if that's happening to anybody else given the weather in North America right now, but.
1: I think my life is so much made up of Tabitha fur that I don't even notice (laughs) when the time comes. I'm just like, yes, I still have cat hair all over my mouth and all over my (laughs) cheek cup and all over everything so
0: so here's the thing that I didn't tell you earlier I was I was trying to get Rascal to stop yelling at me earlier this (laughs) week and so I was petting her but she was sitting up high and the ceiling fan was on and it created this like tornado of hair (laughs) drifting around in the office and I was like what have I done
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Hair tornado should be like the next sharknado. I think it's more frightening to be honest. It
0: is. It's not great. It's not great. (laughs) Well, anyway. Okay. So this this episode was inspired by our recent anime episode because we almost talked about Howl on that one, but then we realized we probably had a full episode's worth of feelings about the book and the movie.
1: And now that I've watched and reread it the answer is yes, that is true. <laughs> uh, so before we start talking about our news and our thoughts about Howl's, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. Sarah J. Mass's number one New York Times bestselling Crescent City series begins with House of Earth and Blood, introducing half fae and half-human Bryce Quinlan as she seeks revenge in a modern fantasy world of magic, danger, and searing romance. With unforgettable characters, sizzling romance, and page-turning suspense, this richly inventive new fantasy series delves into the heartache of loss, the price of freedom, and the power of love. Out now in paperback from Bloomsbury Publishing, this was also the winner of the 2020 Goodreads Choice Awards for fantasy. And if you are looking for an epic fantasy series to start, you should check out House of Earth and Blood. Again, that's by Sarah J. Mass. All right. So I get to choose the first news story today, and it is very exciting news coming to us from Tor.com and Molly Templeton, who reported on N.K. Jemisin's adaptation of the Broken Earth trilogy, uh, for film, and N.K. Jemison is going to be very involved in this adaptation, which is great and new news. Uh, so we heard about an adaptation, or I guess rumors of an adaptation of the Broken Earth trilogy, which felt like the right sort of thing, considering how epic and how cinematic mm. and emotional this trilogy is. And so... It seems there's been some developments, and NK Jemison was finally able to talk about some of these developments. So on Twitter, she linked to this uh, deadline piece that Tor is referencing about how NK Jemison is actually going to be involved in scripting the series. So this always gives me a real note of excitement when i hear about the author of a book that is or a series that's beloved to me and many other people to hear that the author is going to be involved because you never know uh sometimes there is no involvement sometimes uh decisions are completely out of an author's hand when a movie is i mean when a book is adapted for film or tv And so I'm really excited about Jemison's involvement in the series and uh, actually the movie. And so uh, there's not much else to the story, but I just had to say something about it because it's really exciting and we really have not heard very much about this until now. And I just wanted to do some, you know, Hand waving and celebrating.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know I'm always here for hand waving about NK Jemison stuff. I this is interesting because I remember being really excited that they were gonna do it as a TV show when the initial deal happened back in 2017, but that one clearly fell through, it seems like. Yeah. And this is a new deal for film with a new production company and apparently there was a bidding war like I went and poked at the deadline piece and and it was a it was a bidding war which is cool yes but it it is for films and i i can't imagine that they're only going to do one movie right there's no way they could squeeze all of the events of those three books into one movie. Or at least I would hope they would not try to. So
1: that would be hard.
0: Yeah, and and since Jemison is involved, I have my fingers crossed that we're going to get like three solid movies out of this. That's my hope. That's my hope.
1: That would be so, so perfect.
0: Wouldn't it be? I mean, that'd be amazing. So, fingers crossed. We'll see what what more news comes in in future yeah uh let's see all right so let's talk about the nebula winners next yay these i know these were just recently announced earlier this week and earlier this week at the time of recording yeah and uh, it was an entirely virtual ceremony for obvious pandemic reasons. Um, and the winners, I, again, I think we talked about this when we talked about the shortlist. I, I feel woefully behind y'all. I like do not, I have not read most of these. Uh, the Andre Norton Nebula Award for middle grading young adult fiction went to A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher, which I have been hearing good things about, but have not read. Best short story went to Open House on Haunted Hill by John Wiswell, which I have not even heard of. That's how behind on that one I am. (laughs) um that's novella went to ring shout by p.j. clark our Yay. beloved p.j. clark although i have not read that one yet either <laughs> and then novelette went to two truths and a lie by sarah pinsker who i've read other works by her but not that one so i just like i'm the most out of oh no wait i did read the best novel winner which was network effect by martha wells for for her Murderbot series but i don't know what do you what do you think about this list
1: I'm the same. I always have the, this sort of embarrassing reckoning when these lists come out. Um, except in very rare instances because some I'm so all over the place with my reading. Yeah. I'm not always uh reading the most contemporary things except until recently when we started talking about some of our uh our best reads of the quarter and mm, of the mm-hmm. year and things like that. Uh but generally I'm just like what what you know what is uh hitting my fancy right now and you know what themes are coming up next so i'm also woefully behind on these reads um but i plan to to try and catch up i am glad that i heard about a wizard's guide to defensive baking from one of our newsletters i can't remember which one um but i remember being very excited about it and now i'm like patting myself on the back for requesting it from my library because <laughs> nobody had it on hold at the library and oh. this was before the list came out and so now I know there are people who are probably looking this book up and I'm like well, you know too late because I already I, I already it, so. <laughs> well
0: done well done I'll
1: return it in a timely fashion don't come me, <laughs> people. I promise <laughs> But yeah, this is a really, this is an exciting list. It's not like as overwhelming as some of the other lists are Uh, when you right. see it all together. But I am really excited and happy for the winners of the awards. So congratulations to everybody. Okay, well, my next one is... Uh, Another adaptation news story, but it's a little bit, it's kind of like a womp womp story coming from Mm -hmm. io9 um, being reported on by Charles Pulliam Moore. And this is about Netflix's Sweet Tooth series, which has been getting a lot of attention. I haven't watched it myself. I did recently watch the trailer just because, you know, as Netflix does, it shoves that stuff in front of your face as much as it can and um, it's
0: it's a good trailer I will say
1: really good trailer it's very like you can tell some money went into this uh yes. series it's it's real cool looking and everything about it except for this advertisement sounds amazing so this is an adaptation of Jeff Lemire's uh I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right so apologies that's that's how i've always said okay. it okay jeff lemire i could be wrong but... correct me if i'm wrong everybody uh dc comic series sweet tooth so this is an adaptation of a comic and it's about half human half animal hybrids who suddenly appear during a pandemic and a lot of humans who are not these hybrids start to hunt and murder the hybrids they are terrified of them. They don't know why they're being introduced into the world. So already sounds like really fraught and, you know, um, really tricky territory. And then Netflix decided on the June 4th weekend edition of USA Today to... Produced this advertisement. And this was also USA Today agreeing to this. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, they had to. So there was a full front page advertorial that showed news, basically in air quotes, about these half human, half animal hybrids. And for, like, if you didn't know about the series, it looks just like a front page story. There is very little. From what I can tell from these photos of this edition, there's very little that shows that this is an advertisement. And normally I would be like, well, this is such a wild and out there story. Why? Like, you know, who would believe it? I would just be like, oh, is USA Today turning into the National Enquirer or something like that? But (sighs) there's been so much about misinformation in news and problematic content and, you know, incitement of fear. And also that this is kind of like a sensitive topic that also has some parallels with timely topics uh, that are actually occurring in the real world. Mm. It was just such such a poor decision-making process happening across the board. And there seems to be according to this story, um, I don't know if there have been any updates since it was published uh, Tuesday of this week that we're recording, but it doesn't sound like there's any sort of recognition that this was problematic or any acknowledgement that maybe there was a misstep here in putting this edition out. So I was just like, Why are we doing this? (laughs) Like why is this happening? Who makes these decisions? And I'm just like frustrated with people and the world and media right now.
0: Yeah. This is it's a real misstep by the marketing team to Understand the like, read the room, I guess is the phrase that I'm yeah. gonna go with. Um, and I can totally imagine that marketing meme. They're like, oh, it'll be so edgy and innovative. But yes. like, you have to think about. Yeah. You got to read the room. I just, you know what this reminds me too of Sharifa is when they had those handmaids show up to South by Southwest. Do you remember? Yes. When Hulu did that for the premiere of the show and it was like so ill-considered and weird. Like that's what this feels like to me is marketing departments are like, we have to do something big and splashy and like unexpected. So let's do this. And you're like, y'all like... Think about it for a minute. Just think it all the way. Think it all the way through. Perhaps
1: yeah, and would be already, a
0: good idea.
1: There's already so much fear about the pandemic, and I didn't realize until I read this that this was like the the story takes place um, yeah. amidst against the backdrop of a pandemic. And I'm just like, please, just let's not do anything else to like right. stir this pot. Like I just can't anymore. I know. So. No, I know.
0: Yeah, I love also the 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 IO9 reached out to Netflix and they were like, we will not have anybody available to comment like, on. What does this. that even mean? Like, okay. like we're not gonna talk to you about it. Like, all right, cool. Netflix has, has made some very dicey marketing decisions on other sensitive properties as well. Uh so I'm not I wish I could say I was surprised I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's it's just ugh. Ugh. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Two thumbs down from Jen and (laughs) Sharifa. All right. Our last news story is a bit of follow-up. It's just perfect timing that there is some new news about the Cowboy Bebop series. It's actually got an air date. So before we talk about that, though, I want to shout out our dedicated listener, Bonnie, who always sends in great feedback, um, who shared after listening to the Cowboy Bebop episode that uh, i adore cowboy bebop and i may be the reason i have a corgi mix today i cosplayed as ed once but i did not have i with the outfit i love hearing this story thank you so much for sending it in i love it always send (laughs) us your cosplay stories (laughs) y'all sffyadbookride.com i want to hear them
1: i wish i could see this photo too
0: I know there was not a photo attached, but maybe she'll hear this and send one in. But you don't have to, Bonnie. Don't worry about it. Um, But anyway, so the news is also from tour.com reported on by Molly Templeton that there like, finally, there was all kinds of delays due to injuries and the pandemic. um, But Netflix's live action Cowboy Bebop is going to stream in the fall and... Even better news, to my mind, is that the original series composer, Yoko Kano, is on board. And then, like, we talked about this, and music is such a big part of that show. It's so
1: good. It makes, it really does make some of those scenes really come to life.
0: Yeah, like, the whole aesthetic is so wrapped up in the soundtrack. So I'm just freaking delighted that... That that's part of what we're going to get. I will say, Sharifa, I don't know if you watched this little video that's embedded in here. Oh, I didn't. Darn it. Well, it's okay. I I just have to tell you that I have concerns about the hair that is on John Cho. Oh, no! Like, (laughs) I guess they were trying to... I Like, I hope it's... First of all, I really hope it's a win. Second of (laughs) all, they were, like, somehow trying to, like, get that jet hair spike. Not Jet, Spike, right? Oh, yeah, Spike, Who am I talking yeah, about? main character. They're trying to, yeah, they're trying to get that Spike hair, but it. I do not like it. Uh, <laughs> I love, uh, I love Jon Cho. I just do not like this hair choice that they have made. Or at least, I, I don't know if this is the final hair. Like maybe this is just what his hair looked like during the filming of this little teaser, but. Oh, no, I'm, what if it's just I'm not i'm not on board i'm not on board um oh i see
1: his i see in the um is it the picture the little picture of him in the twitter box where he has like the it's, it's like sort kind of, of
0: like loopy yeah it's not i'm not on board wow I'm, yeah uh, that's interesting yeah, it's a choice. They they made a choice. <laughs> um I will say though that y'all should click through the there's a link to a video a behind the scenes on set video shot from a corgi eye view and that is extremely cute and I do recommend it So,
1: uh, this is super exciting and I am now convinced that we speak things into being <laughs> because we literally were just talking about things like,
0: it's true it's obviously due to our influence that's how big of a, a deal me. we are you guys
1: yeah nobody can tell me otherwise <laughs> 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 oh,
0: that hair though we have a problem <laughs>
1: Well, that was good news to end on.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's see. Let's do our second sponsor and then start our Howl discussion. Our next sponsor is The Nature of Witches in Hardcover by Rachel Griffin. For centuries, witches have maintained the climate, but now their control is faltering as the atmosphere becomes more erratic. All hope lies with an Everwitch named Clara. In autumn, Clara wants nothing to do with her power. The price, losing the ones she loves, is too high. In winter, storms rage, and Clara accepts that she is the only one who can make a difference. In spring, Clara falls for Sang. As her magic grows, she's terrified she'll lose him. And in summer, Clara must choose between her duty and the people she loves before she loses Sang, her magic, and thrusts the world. Into chaos. i have to say I love this idea that witches are trying to combat climate change. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, so as you might have been able to tell, this is a contemporary fantasy. It deals with climate change and the environment. And this is interesting. The author, Rachel Griffin, is a certified weather spotter, which is not a thing I knew about before reading this ad spot. So I've learned something new. And yeah, we've got witches, we've got boarding school, we've got climate change. So this is a page turner as well. Definitely something you will want to check out. Uh, Again, that's The Nature of Witches in hardcover by Rachel Griffin. Oh, cool. All right. Let's see, Sharifa. I want to start off with this very important Howell question. No, yeah. I take it back. I want to oh. start off. I, I take it back. Let's start off with our Howell backgrounds, because I think we came to this property in two different ways. I read the book first when I was in I, probably my 20s, actually. And then I saw the movie a couple years after having read the book. What? How did you come to
1: Howell? I came to it in the opposite way. I definitely watched the movie first and had no idea, even though it says in the opening credits, it's, <laughs> like I must have just been like uh, eating popcorn or something right. during that moment because I did. Did you not see it in the theater? I think I saw a re-screening of it in mm. like the historical theater. That was local to me at the time because they did some Miyazaki re-screenings. I think it was one of those festivals uh, Mm. where, because it was, it was very, uh, it was like, I remember it being an eventful thing and I was already Mm. into Miyazaki. I'm pretty sure I saw this after I watched Spirited Away. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I might be getting that wrong. But anyway, I saw the movie first and it spoke to me very much. And then I did I realized, I think, because of a it was probably a book riot post, actually, mm. in my 30s. I realized it was based off the of Diana Wynne Jones book. And I was like, I love her. Like, what? How? <laughs> and so I read the book then. and. In that moment, I I definitely was making my side-by-side comparisons, but it had been a minute um, since that read, that first read of the book. And I hadn't watched Howl's Moving Castle in a while, so it was really interesting to come back and revisit it. And every time you reread or rewatch something, you learn something new. So the process was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll get into that more. But now let's do my very important question, yes. which is that if you were a Howell character, either from the book or the movie, which would you be?
1: I gave this long, I, I like <laughs> thought about this, like I was making a decision about, you know, where to retire or something. <laughs> like I gave it a lot of thought because I, there pluses and minuses to being Mm -hmm. each character and so what i landed on is markle of the movie
0: oh that is not at all what i
1: was expecting you to say (laughs) that's fascinating tell us why yeah so okay markle isn't this doesn't necessarily mean markle is my favorite character no um but i was just like markle has it So easy. Like he kind (laughs) of just hangs out in Howell's castle. And I know he has some moments where he's just like irritated by Sophie, irritated by Howell, irritated by Calcifer. But then like he's just like sucking up eggs and bacon half the time and like, you know, running away while Sophie cleans up and he can still do magic. So he gets to do magic Mm. and put on his little funny disguise with his big old beard and pretend to be all these interesting characters and kind of just run around and enjoy life in Howl's Moving Castle with none of the drama. The other mm-hmm. characters have to deal with? Not uh, none of the drama, but mostly not a lot of drama. So that was where I landed. And I feel pretty good about that decision. What about you?
0: <laughs> I love that answer. That is an amazing answer. I put this question in because as I was rereading the book, which I did, I rewatched the movie first and then I reread the book. And I I was reading the book and I got to Mrs. Fairfax, who's oh. the witch that Martha slash Letty goes to apprentice with. Yeah. And and the like the description of her is that she has this cottage surrounded by flowers and she keeps bees and she uses honey and all of her recipes and she's constantly telling you about how her how her bees are doing like that she uses honey and I was like oh look it's me like (laughs) if I was a witch this is exactly who I would be I would be Mrs. Fairfax
1: that is perfect that is absolutely perfect I I remembered uh Mrs. Fairfax and I think the only impediment to a lifestyle as her is that you would probably need a lot of like honey lozenges for all the talking you'd have well, exactly. to do.
0: Well <laughs> exactly. That is like you said all of these characters have drawbacks. Like of none course. of them are perfect and she has a reputation for being unstoppable in conversation. And you know, I will say that is that has been one of my flaws in the past. I don't know when to shut up. <laughs> so I I feel her on both her flaws and her good points. <laughs>
1: I love this for us. I think yeah, that I, these are our perfect choices.
0: <laughs> so very good journeys. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so, so I, this is an interesting project because I, so like I said, I read the book, I loved the book, mm-hmm. and then when I watched the movie, I was extremely confused because they're so different, and I was especially confused because I have several friends who will die hard insist that the movie is better than the book, Mm. which I cannot... I, that is not my personal experience I'm not saying there's an objective truth here I, I think to each their own yeah. but I was so confused because for me and and I as I rewatched I was like okay let me keep like a very open mind here and not just be trying to compare it to the book right like let me treat them as two separate properties mm-hmm. that are maybe they're different stories but maybe they're each like excellent in their own rights and I'm the movie is good but I also find it extremely confusing Thing. and 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 so I I sort of after I rewatched it I wasn't any less confused about it and so I did this deep dive to try to understand not only like what it is that makes it some people's favorite but also like is it, what is it, what is it that I feel like I'm missing? And does anybody address this? And there were some interesting pieces I came out along. I'm going to link them in the show notes, but there was one New York review that uh, had this great sentence that I was like, oh, that's it. Um, and it said, Miyazaki's career long impulse to follow the unpredictable whims of dream logic, wherever they may take him. And I was like, that just feels correct. Like yeah. there, there are parts of this movie that just don't, as far as I can tell fit, like in my head they don't fit together like they never match up or connect to each other but if you think about it as if it's like one giant dream with that kind of dream logic it makes much more sense in in that like inexplicable no sense making way do you i i i wonder they also talk about how it's like that's just what miyazaki does and i wonder if the fact that i haven't seen that much miyazaki also impacts my relationship to the movie
1: yeah, I would say I've wa- I've watched a lot of Miyazaki and there is always an element of what the heck is going on here and how <laughs> does this make any sense? Mm. And I think that the thing that speaks to me most or the way his movies speak to me is that I do I know I'm just going along for the ride like Mm. I just sort of have to let go of the impulse to try and make sense of things because and I don't think I really even before I saw this link I hadn't really thought about that at length but I watched Mm. the I did the rewatch with my partner and I was kind of curious about how he would respond to it as somebody who also hasn't watched a lot of Miyazaki and who hasn't mm. read the book or ever watched the movie. And at the end of it, he just kind of like, we were in sitting in silence at the end <laughs> credits. And I was like, uh. And he turned to me and he was like, I like it, I think. But <laughs> it was very much a, what? How does this make sense in the end? And I was like, yeah, you know what? it It really makes very little sense some of the bits (laughs) uh so I totally understand that and I think that in order to enjoy it you do sort of just have to abandon logic and I have definitely even having read the book I I purposefully consider them as two very separate things Mm -hmm. so if somebody Mm -hmm. asked me would do I like the book better than I like the film or vice versa I would say, well, I can't compare it because they are not the same thing. They are so loosely based on each other. Like the film is so loosely based on the book and it's so, it gets so different in terms of even some of the big themes in the movie that I just can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is a good point where I realize once again, we have not summed this up for anybody who has no (laughs) idea what we're talking about. So let me, let me attempt a quick summary. So how is Moving Castle the book is the story of sophie hatter who is the oldest of three sisters she lives in this like pre-technology sort of idyllic village world and she's sort of dissatisfied with her life but she also she's been steeped in fairy tales and she just kind of believes that this is like her even if she were to try to have an adventure she would fail because she's the oldest of three and that's just what happens Mm -hmm. so she has resigned herself to like a boring life and she makes hats and she one day, a a witch comes into the hat shop and curses her because Sophie sasses her. And so Sophie now is like, turns into a 90-year-old woman instead of an 18-year-old woman and decides that, well, she's got nothing left to lose. She might as well go on an adventure. She meets this wizard, Howl who has a reputation for eating the hearts of young girls, and then, like, hijinks ensue. And there's a little fire demon named Calcifer, who is, like, an all-time favorite, I think, for anybody who's either watched the movie or read the books. Um, And several other characters... And I won't give away too many other plot points. Does that seem, that's a good summary? That's of the a book? great
1: summary. I think that really captures the essence of the story.
0: A- and then the movie, and, and this was another thing I read up on. In, in the book, there is a mention of the king of the place that Sophie lives, is afraid that his neighbors are going to make war on him and, and he needs his missing brother back, which is one of the missions that Howell and Sophie have to go on. The movie is takes place in the middle of a war and it's like kind of steampunky, right? Like there's a very yeah. steampunky feel I think to it. And and the movie kind of take it loses one of the sisters, um it changes around a bunch of minor characters' roles mm-hmm. and it's it seems to me and you can tell me if you think this is fair that it's very much more about Sophie trying to save Howell from losing his humanity as he interacts with the war.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it is very much more focused on this dynamic between Sophie and Howell. Because in the book, there are all sorts of storylines that are happening. But Mm -hmm. here specifically, it is very much about Sophie, you know, um, making sure that Howell doesn't lose his humanity, and also this sort of developing romance between them, uh, which was, some of this stuff was, it felt very much within this uh, sort of template that Miyazaki has, which I admittedly love a lot, Uh, Mm. but it followed some of that, that template, and I thought it was interesting that in the beginning, it felt... Even with a bunch of changes to the storyline and the characters, there were some hmm. moments and scenes where I was like, wow, this is almost like verbatim what happens yes. in the book. And then as the story progresses, it's just like you get farther and farther from the original text, which is uh, interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I will say that the first half of that movie is is my favorite Probably just because there's so many amazing moments that are straight out of the book, like the the reveal of Howl's Castle, Hmm. which, as you might guess from the title, moves around on chicken legs uh, in in the movie is so good. I mean, it's so funny. It's so vivid and like ridiculous looking. It's just amazing. Um, And there are several other moments like that where the movie just perfectly brings to life this great moment from the book and i'm just like oh there it is like it's so good
1: yeah i particularly enjoyed the way it capitalized on diana wynne jones sense of humor especially yes. in the form of calcifer which i think yes. is why so many people love calcifer uh and if it, you didn't if listeners didn't know a uh, calcifer in the movie is voiced by billy crystal yeah that was hilarious i was like i know that voice Um, (laughs) yeah but it's very like the comedic timing is so good and that's why diana Wynne jones books captured me when i was like reading them as a middle grader but also like today because there's just such a a great streak of humor in there not just with calcifer but with other characters as well
0: yeah oh i totally agree and um And I actually really liked some of the additions like there. I don't know that there are many people who could pull off an action sequence. That's just two elderly women trying to make it up a giant flight of stairs. Oh, my goodness. But that sequence is so great, except for one of my biggest problems Mm. with the movie, which I think is a pretty classic issue in a lot of media, is that there is some real fat phobia in the movie around the the Witch of the Waste.
1: Yeah, I definitely cringed, not for yeah. the first time, at watching some of those scenes with the Witch of the Waste. And in my head I was just like, Why well, is this even necessary? Like yeah. it wasn't. Right, you necessary. can make her
0: bad without it being about what her, you know, body looks like.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. But but but, you know, it, it, there are like the fact that like these mortal enemies are making their way up the staircase and then Sophie is like cheering her on. I mean, it's just such an interesting character moment. Uh, plus of course the dog, I mean, you gotta love a dog. Um,
1: that dog was hilarious. I love the reveal of like, Sophie's been talking to this dog like it was Howl all this time. and, <laughs>
0: and it's not Howl. <laughs> Spoiler it's so good. It's so good.
1: It's so fun. It's so yeah. funny. Um, But yeah, I loved that. And speaking of sophie's characters specifically Mm -hmm. and these you know she's such a complex character in both the book and the film Mm -hmm. in that she's this very like stubborn determined pretty bossy person yes and firstly i love to read these stories about Older people you wouldn't normally find as the main character, even though Sophie is an 18-year-old in a mm-hmm. 90-year-old woman's body, like Sophie truly embodies that age. And yeah. you know, for obvious reasons. And so I I thought it was kind of empowering. Like mm-hmm. as you as somebody who is like all of us are getting older. And to see Sophie being so vivacious and, like, just living with her bossiness and being okay with it, but also being adventurous as an older person and having this sort of side-by-side of, like, well, she... She's very stubborn about certain things, but she's also very principled in some ways that she wouldn't like, you know, punch down on somebody when they're Mm -hmm. having a rough time. Like the Witch of the Ways who literally cursed her and who she still helps out. Um, I thought that that was really cool and an interesting way to to design a character.
0: Yeah, I love I do love book Sophie more than I love movie Sophie, because you get this great context for why she's so shut in at the beginning of the story and why she just like doesn't she's not living her life and and i love the the way that jones shapes that storyline and then like gives her this adventure to teach her like you know how to find herself regardless of what else is you know other people's expectations or these messages that she's internalized it's such like a great like you said is very empowering in all of these different ways and i i love that yeah. um i also i will not say specifically because I feel like it is kind of a big spoiler, but I love that the book is a portal fantasy in a way that is really unexpected. Yes. And yeah. I missed that in the movie, but I don't know how you would have put it in the way that Miyazaki reimagined it. Like it just wouldn't have fit, but I did love that about the book.
1: Yeah, I couldn't remember if this was something I, this moment um, was something I had made up in my mind because <laughs> it, it was so strange and Mm -hmm. i found the the change of scenery and with this portal uh storyline so interesting and so fun but i was really glad to see that or to read that i was not imagining that whole scene (laughs) in that moment so yeah that was really
0: cool it's really cool, uh, and I, I did I will say on the movies, like there were so many great moments in the movie I don't want to like totally put it down. I just uh, like I said, I found it confusing, and that I think that's by design so i'm 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 wrapping my head around that. but the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that Miyazaki had said in interviews that this was his favorite movie that he has ever made, and one of the things that he was doing with it was trying to illustrate the ridiculousness of war and like I think that once I knew that it clicked a few things into place for me like because really like the characters who are making war in the movie have absolutely no reason like there's never any actual real reason to do it and then even the stopping of the war doesn't get a real reason and Miyazaki has said in interviews, like it is just senseless and pointless. And I wanted, you know, he wanted to show that on the screen, and I, that, you know, sort of casts that in a whole new light for me.
1: Yeah, I hadn't read his comments about his thoughts. Like I, I got from watching it that there was the, this anti-war sentiment, and mm-hmm. that Miyazaki was trying to accomplish something by showing this. Um, or by including the storyline and making it very central of this war that's happening and how it transforms
0: mm-hmm. some
1: people into literal monsters. Yeah, And I thought always thought that was interesting, but I, I didn't understand the resolution. I thought that, you know, it was like a lot of things sort of Abrupt and not mm-hmm. terribly satisfying um, right right, so it was I was really interested in when I read that article you linked to uh to hear his thoughts about that, and yeah i like I thought that the I thought that the war elements were really disturbing sometimes, yes. and Howell's interactions in those moments were disturbing as well and so it was definitely powerful the way Mm -hmm. he symbolized it and the way he depicted it um but it brings another layer when you actually hear from him about how he was directing those moments
0: Um, yeah 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 really interesting Yeah, Uh, let's see. Oh, I know. So you you had this in your notes about the cut for ASMR.
1: (laughs) I loved it so much. So one of the big things I think that one of the things that really helps me get out of thinking too logically about some of the storylines of Miyazaki's films is just that everything is so stunning and Mm -hmm. including like the sound effects and you know, the visuals, it's just so detailed and so, I don't know, moving, I guess, is the word. And when I was watching it again, I, I have a habit of watching ASMR videos or having them in the background, especially mm-hmm. like cozy atmosphere. YouTube videos. And so when I was watching it, I was like, so many of these moments are just like core ASMR. <laughs> and maybe this is like, maybe this is what I've been living for. Watching all of these movies, maybe this is just like a lifestyle I want in my ears and in my eyes. And then you found actual YouTube videos. So
0: so this is the story about this thing. So first of all, I think that is 100% legitimate. And I agree. Those moments, again, some of my favorites were just there's, you're just immersed in this atmosphere and it's magical and it's soothing and it's beautiful. And you're like, I never want to leave this, like this minute of film. Like, I just want to live in this minute of film for the rest of my life. And then as I was prepping for this, completely unbeknownst to this friend, (laughs) one of my friends chatted me a link to a she was like oh here's a great atmosphere for while we're working because she also works from home and i click it and what is it but a loop of no true story it's this loop of howl sitting in front of calcifer with the rain falling outside and the fire crackling and then classical music from the score behind and it's like i was just like how did she know? It's like she she just felt the Howl vibes from afar or something. She's a witch. And she is a witch. She is a witch. Emma, if you're listening, you're a witch. And then, and then, so I left it on because obviously, and then, it, you know how YouTube does that thing where it just plays you the next one without mm-hmm. telling you? And I suddenly realized I was listening to something else and I click over and it's Howell lying in his lush green magical bedroom with classical music playing and like the sound of like tinkling in the wind. And I was like, this is this is uncanny.
1: It's uncanny. That is amazing. I went back into the notes and I just sort of assumed you had actually been looking for it. This is so much better than I could have imagined. I cannot believe. The coincidence. It's, it's amazing.
0: It really is. So I, I'm leaving links to those in the show notes that you you should all avail yourselves of them. They're truly amazing.
1: I definitely bookmarked them. So it's yeah. happening. It's so
0: good. It was it talk about kismet.
1: It's so much kismet. Uh so I'd wanted to ask, since we already talked about who we would want to be, did you have a specific favorite character from the book or the film?
0: Oh, that's so hard because Sophie looms so large. I know. I but know. It's Yeah, it's really <laughs> difficult to like see anyone else aside from her. Let me think about this for a second. I...
1: Do you want me to talk about mine while you Yeah, you about talk about yours. yours. Okay, yeah. so mine is... Now it just feels predictable because we've already talked about it. It's definitely calcifer. And that yeah. was... I kept trying... To make Calcifer into my character I would want to be. <laughs> but Calcifer is in such a unfortunate position of mm. being this fire demon who is stuck in this. Like he is burning in this hearth and he's just like sitting around whining and complaining all day <laughs> every day. And he needs this curse lifted off of him, but he cannot do anything about it. And he seems, especially when, like in the book, he is, there are pathetic moments from him. <laughs> and and, as, and in the film, there are definitely moments where it's just like, he's being brought out into the rain and he's <laughs> being put into a cup while You know, the ash is being cleaned out. And I just, like, laughed and felt sorry for him at the same time. He is such a tragic, comedic (laughs) character. I would read a book about Calcifer uh, 100%.
0: 100%. 100%. (laughs) I guess, so as I'm sitting here thinking, I think, and this is sort of a mirroring what you did earlier, but Michael from the hmm. book who is so Markle and Michael yeah. are in theory similar characters in that they are both apprentices, but like movie Markle is like a literal child. Yeah. <laughs> it's a child baby. <laughs> and and Michael is a teenaged apprentice in the book. Yeah. And I actually really love Michael because he is so like put upon. He's the one who tries to keep Hal from spending all of the money on like clothing as opposed to, you know, food. <laughs> and he's trying to learn magic, but Hal is a very inconsistent teacher, so he's struggling with that. And then Sophie shows up and is just like getting all up in his business and, you know, making everything more complicated and he's just trying to keep everything together and running smoothly. And I have a lot of sympathy for that kind of character. And so Michael might be, like, aside from Sophie and Calcifer, who are so wonderfully drawn in both the movie and the books. Like, they're just so great. Um, But Michael Michael from the book might, might be my next favorite.
1: That's a good pick. Michael, it was really interesting to, like, consider the differences between mm. Michael and Markle. And for a second there, I thought I was getting the names wrong when I was right. like writing it out my notes and things like that. But I was like, wait, no, those are two different names, but they are maybe the same ish character.
0: Yeah. I had to look it up. I was like, are they saying what name are they saying? Yeah. In the movie? I can't tell. <laughs> so Yeah.
1: But I, I mean, all of the characters in the book are so great. And there are mm-hmm. so many characters in the book Yeah, um, that it, it's really difficult to choose from. I could choose like many more to <laughs> love, including. I mean, so just people.
0: sort of all of them, right? Yeah, like just all, all of them. There's all so of good. them. Well, this this has been a very enlightening discussion for me. I'm glad we did this because good. it really has given me a new perspective on the movie, which I don't think you know will ever be my favorite. But I really, I feel like I get it a lot better now.
1: That's fair, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. At least a little. I do think you should watch Spirited Away if you haven't already. I, so
0: I have seen that okay one. good I have seen that one and I, I do I did really love it. I watched that in college and I believe. Okay. And I, I oh. did love that. And I it's not that I don't mean to watch more Miyazaki, especially <laughs> now that they're all on HBO Plus, which I have. I just keep forgetting. I just keep forgetting.
1: That's okay. We watched yeah. Howl.
0: We watched Howl. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch my neighbor Totoro next. We'll see. I love happens. that one. <laughs> All right. Well, this concludes our discussion. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on Howl the Book, Howl the Movie, uh, Miyazaki, whatever. Send them on in, sffia at bookriot.com. Thank you to our sound editor, Dr. Baker, for dealing with all of our mercury-induced technological difficulties <laughs> and taking out our flubs. We appreciate that. If you would like more sci-fi fantasy recommendations or just more book recommendations in general, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And thank you, as always, so much for listening. We so appreciate it. Uh, If you feel inclined to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate that too. Helps other people to find the show. And in between shows, Sharifa, where are you at?
1: I'm on Instagram at williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A ab williams
0: and you can find me on twitter and tumblr as jen irl that's jen with two n's i r l or on instagram as i am jen irl and we will talk to you next time